I read a story of a girl named Maria, and she uh, had broken up with her boyfriend, Jimmy. She told him she simply didn't want to be with him anymore. It was sad. However, after about a year of being broken up, one day out of the blue, she wrote Jimmy a letter. And in that letter, she said, Jimmy, I miss you so much. I think of you all day and all night long. You dominate my mind, and I just don't want to be apart from you anymore. Jimmy, let's reconnect. P.S., congratulations on winning the lottery. That's, that's true, true love. True love. Today's message, we want to look at relationships, and hopefully they're going to be a little bit better than that. Uh, last week, we started this new sermon series called Jesus Christ, Lord of All. And in this series, we're going to be looking at some passages from Luke's gospel, which is his biography of Jesus, that point to Jesus being Lord over everything in our lives. Last week, we spoke about how uh, Jesus is to be Lord of our attitudes. And so I'm sure after hearing that sermon, everybody has come to church today with a great positive attitude. Amen. Amen. Today, we're going to look at how Jesus is Lord of our relationships. Relationships are so important because, I mean, honestly, it's basically how the world works, right? We're in relationship with other people, and we're made to be in relationship with other people. We see this even going back to the very opening chapters of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, after God had created man, Adam, here's what he said. It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. It's not good for the man to be alone. We are made for relationships. We're made for community. And I think we've seen this play out over the last two years, especially when we weren't able to be as close as we had been. We desire that connection with people, especially in person. When we couldn't get that, you knew that there was something missing. Even for people like me who are perfectly fine being alone for long periods of time, you know, you still desire, it's still important to connect with others. Relationships with other people, they drive this world. And there are different kinds of relationships, of course. You've got romantic relationships, again, hopefully better than the story that I told at the beginning. But there's also family relationships, friendships, business relationships, and uh, a whole lot more. But what does it mean for us to have Jesus be Lord of our relationships? Well, it means pretty simply that, that in every relationship we have, we submit them all to the Lord and follow his direction and lead. And today we're going to be looking at a passage in Luke chapter 10 where Jesus is questioned and the question he's asked is about how to inherit eternal life. But the way he answers it in his response, he talks about relationships, he talks about relationship, your relationship with God but also your relationship with others as well. And it all hinges around one word, love. If you have your Bibles, you want to turn with me to Luke chapter 10 and around verse 25. That's where we're going to be camped out this morning. It's a passage that is probably pretty familiar to anybody that's been in church for any period of time. But don't let that make you tune out or anything. It's an important topic, especially in today's day and age where we honestly seem to want to argue with anybody and everybody about the smallest little things. Anybody that disagrees with us, we've got a fight ready to go. We always have our guard up. And, and when you have that guard up, it makes it hard to love others well. 
So as we approach Luke 10.25 in the previous chapters, what we see as we set the scene, Jesus has set himself to go toward Jerusalem, headed straight into the lion's den. He's preparing for his death. And along the way, though, he, he continues to teach. And as he teaches, questions do come up. And so in Luke 10.25, it says that on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you'll live. So Jesus is out and about on this one occasion, and he's teaching, and there's this expert in the law who wants to test Jesus. This expert in the law could also be translated simply as lawyer, is trying to get Jesus to kind of get all tripped up in what he's teaching. And this scene is a typical one for Jewish teaching, where people would be seated listening to a Jewish rabbi. If they had questions, they would stand up out of respect to the rabbi to ask it. And even the question that he asks was one that it wasn't abnormal to be asked during this time. How would one inherit eternal life? But the way the question's worded is more like, well, what's the thing that I've got to do to inherit eternal life? What do I have to do to get? That question's still asked today, right? There's a lot of people. It's like, what, what should I be doing to have or get eternal life? And he's trying to test Jesus but Jesus turns the question right back around on this guy, as he does a lot of times when he's responding. Not always a direct response, but it's always you know, like this, where he says, well, what's written in the law? And the answer is the same that we've seen Jesus give a few times throughout the other Gospels, sometimes in a scene that looks a whole lot like this one. The expert's answer is first to quote from what's called the Shema. It's in Deuteronomy 6.5, which is, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. The Shema would have been recited by Jewish people every morning and every evening, and it would have been something that was very well understood and known in that culture. But then the expert continues with Leviticus 19.18, which says, Love your neighbor as yourself. And how this is written in the Greek for Luke, or at least how, how we see it, it's really one sentence. It's one thing. Love God and people. Love God and neighbor. And Jesus commends the man. He says, okay, you got it right. You answered it correctly. And then he says, if you do this, you'll live. And that could have been enough, right? That should have been enough. But remember, the lawyer's trying to test Jesus, trying to get him to trip up anywhere. And now, not only that, he, he, he wants to justify himself. And so in Luke 10, 29, it says, but he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? You ever been in school with those kinds of students who, like, they got the question right, but they just kept going and asking questions after they got the question right? I hated those people. It's like, you got it right. Why are you still talking? Maybe they were being disingenuous like this guy. Probably not, but, but this guy's he's trying to catch Jesus in saying something that would incriminate him or that would like knock him off of his popularity a bit. 
um, especially with all the crowds that had been gathered around to hear him teach. And this guy probably thinks, all right, I've got him. I'm going to do what nobody else has been able to do. I'm going to knock this guy off his perch. But of course, that's not what happens. Jesus, as he often does when he's teaching, he doesn't give a direct answer to his question, but he does answer with a story. And so let's read the start of that in verse 30, where he says, it says, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So Jesus starts by telling us a story of a man who's traveling down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And it would be down because there's a big elevation change from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's 3,400 feet of elevation. Jerusalem is up higher than Jericho. And it's an 18-mile journey to the northeast to get to Jericho from Jerusalem. And it's a winding path, apparently. And apparently, it would have been dangerous as well because the opportunity for robbers and bandits that would have happened along the way. And that's what happened to this guy. Robbers stripped him of his clothing, likely stole everything he had, and then beat him half to death and then left him there to die. And thankfully for the man, though, some people showed up on the scene. Except they didn't really stop to help. Jesus says a priest just happened to be traveling down that same road. Now, this priest might have been traveling either to or from Jerusalem to serve at the temple. Many of the priests who did serve at the temple didn't live in Jerusalem. And honestly, a lot of them actually lived in Jericho. And when you first hear the story and the people who are listening to this story, they might think, okay, this is great luck. There is a priest coming and surely he's going to help this poor guy, but he doesn't. In fact, he sees the man. Jesus is very specific. He's like, he sees the man, and then he passes by on the other side. Well, then a Levite comes along the same road, and the people from the tribe of Levi, they would often assist the priests. That was some of their duty. Um, they would assist the priests in the temple. And they would prepare the sacrifices and cleanse and care for the sacred courts and the vessels and serve as, as porters and gatekeepers and singers and musicians. Also helped interpret the Torah. And again, the audience might think, okay, great. Well, the priest couldn't help, but, but the Levite will, will help. But he doesn't. Again, like the priest, he sees the man and passes by on the other side. These are two Jewish leaders who see this man beaten and stripped, laying in the road, half dead, and they don't stop to help him. Not only do they not stop, they choose to walk on the other side of the road. I mean, that's a statement right there. And it's possible that, that you could come up with reasons for not stopping. I mean, we, we probably would if we didn't, you know, things like, well, I didn't have the time. Yeah, I've been serving at the temple for a week straight, and I'm just, I'm so ready to get home. Or, you know, I was worried that this was going to be a trap, and I was going to be beaten, and, and everything's going to be stolen from me. We can always come up with excuses for why we don't stop, right? The priest and the Levite, they both saw this man, and they went past him, but there was about to be a third person introduced who would come along as well in verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. 
He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. You know, stories always you know, seem to have that big shocking twist turn. This would have been it here. Not just that somebody stopped, but that that person was a Samaritan. Rick mentioned this briefly last week, but Jewish people and Samaritans didn't really like each other. This goes all the way back to the split between Israel into a northern and a southern kingdom, the northern kingdom named Israel and the southern kingdom Judah. What happens was both of these kingdoms were eventually conquered, Israel by the Assyrians and and Judah later by the Babylonians. But when they resettled these areas, when the people of Israel, the northern kingdom, resettled, Um, into this area that was then known as Samaria, there was a lot of intermarriage between the Jewish people and the other cultures. And so in Jewish eyes, they were considered ethnically Gentile, and they didn't really like them. And so what you had was you had Judah in the south, where Jerusalem is. You had Galilee in the north, which is where the Sea of Galilee is, where Jesus did uh, most of his documented uh, ministry. And then you had Samaria in between them. And they wouldn't walk through Samaria. Like Jewish people would walk around Samaria to get up to Galilee. Well, most Jewish people. And it went both ways. Uh, They they really didn't like each other, as Rick talked about last week. When we saw that Jesus was traveling toward Jerusalem and he planned to go to a Samaritan village and stay there, but they didn't want him to stay because he was going to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And that made James and John want to call down fire from heaven on that village. And so, yeah, that's pretty much the relationship in a nutshell. So imagine the surprise to these listeners when the Samaritan is the one who stops, sees the man, and helps him. The Jewish priest, the Levite, they both go right on by. But the Samaritan stops to help. And what does he do? He sees him, he takes pity on him, takes the time to bandage his wounds, and then puts him on his donkey and takes him to an inn for more care. And while he's there, he took care of him overnight, and then the next day he pays the innkeeper two denarii, which is equivalent to two days' wages to look after that guy. And and then he also offered to pay for anything extra, for any extra expense that the innkeeper would have. That would have been a shocking turn of events for these listeners. And then Jesus, now he asks another question to the lawyer. Verse 36, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, well, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Jesus asked the lawyer, okay, So which out of these three, which one's the neighbor? The question's a little bit different than how the lawyer asked it. One commentator writes it this way, for the lawyer, neighbor is a noun. Neighbor is an object to whom one owes duties, burdensome duties that the lawyer's desiring to avoid. For Jesus, neighbor's a verb. It's a way of behaving toward people in need that gives life to both giver and receiver. It's not about having a neighbor. It's about being a neighbor 
the expert in the law answered that it was the one who had mercy on him. That's who was the neighbor. And notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, well, it was the Samaritan. It was just the one. It's almost like he couldn't bring himself to say the Samaritan. That the person who rescued this man was somebody that the Jewish people despised. But then Jesus gives him a command. Okay, go and do likewise. He tells this man to go, do the same as the Samaritan, to be a neighbor to others. Love your neighbor as you would yourself. And he continues to tell us this today. The same thing. If Jesus is to be Lord of all, he needs to be Lord of our relationships. And his command, when thinking of any kind of relationship, is to love. Love your neighbor as yourself. And as we look at this story of who our neighbor is, we can see a few principles regarding godly relationships. First thing is that godly relationships don't always look the way we think they should look. In this story, the Jewish man is attacked, beaten, stripped, left for dead. Two high-level Jewish leaders see this man, and then they walk by him. But it's the Samaritan who stopped and helped this man. He became the neighbor. Who is it in your life that you might disagree with? Who is it that you might struggle to love? Who is it that you might not want to be a neighbor to? Those are the people that you need to love. It's really easy to love those who we don't, or who we do like. Really hard to love those that we don't. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught us about this very thing. He says in Matthew 5, verse 43, You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward are you going to get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Loving your neighbor means loving your enemies. It's one of the reasons that we should stand out as unique in this world as Christians. I mean, who loves their enemies right now? Look, I'll be honest, like, this is hard to do. Because the last thing you want to do is to give your enemies love. You just want to be like, okay, I don't don't even want to deal with you. And we've had people here in the past, when we've preached on this subject, I know I've, I've preached on, when we went through the, the Sermon on the Mount, I preached on this, and, and they came up to me and were like, you know, I struggle with this. And if you do, I think that's okay. Like, we're still growing, we're still learning. But you've got to take that to God in prayer. You've got to ask him to change your heart. Godly relationships can and will look different. Second, godly relationships can be inconvenient. It sure wasn't inconvenient for the Samaritan to stop and help this this man. You see the priest, the Levite, they go right on by. And like we said, they might not have wanted to be inconvenienced. We don't know for certain. Jesus doesn't tell us in the story. But oftentimes relationships are not convenient. Love is not very convenient. Not always convenient. Like 
And the reason it's not is because you've got to give of yourself. Like, it's not all about you with love. It's sacrificial. It's inconvenient. A lot of times, too, you need to slow down because we're moving too fast. I mean, we got to slow down, take some time, look around. Our world gets so distracted, so busy, so go, go, go all the time that we often fail to see what's going on around us. There was a study that was done one time with seminary students who were, you know, people who were preparing to go into vocational ministry, and, and it was kind of an experiment. They, it was a preaching group, and so they gave half the students the topic to preach on the Good Samaritan, this story, and they gave the other half just other topics to preach on. And what they were told to do was to go over to a different campus on, or a different building on campus to present this sermon. And along the way, researchers, they planted an actor who was basically playing the part of this man who had been beaten and robbed, and this would have been unknown to the students. And he was going to take up a position along their path, so they had to pass him on the way, and he was going to be, you know, making noise and kind of just making it known that he was there and in need of help. And then they added one more variable just before they were leaving to preach. To one, of the, to one group of students, they said, you know what, uh, they were expecting you a few minutes ago, you're running late, you got to go. And then the other group of students were told, you know what, you're, you're a little ahead, like you've got some time, but why don't you go head over anyway, and then that way you can be prepared. Each of these people passed the actor. 10% of those who were in a hurry stopped to help him. 63% of those who weren't in a hurry stopped to help him. And in a few cases, some of them uh, stepped right over the guy to keep going. And, And those were people who had prepared a message on the Good Samaritan. And I'm, I, I want to say this, like, I'm not saying that these people are not normally compassionate people, but the busyness, the lateness, that, that took priority for them, and it made them miss out. Relationships, even small ones, can be inconvenient, can take time, and they can be costly as well. The Samaritan gave up two days' worth of his wages in order to help the man. Two days' worth of wages. I mean, that's not really a small amount when you think of it. But what does it take to love others well? It's a sacrifice. But really, how big would that be in the grand scheme of things? And honestly, if Jesus is to be Lord of our relationships, we need to look at how he loved people. In John 15, 13... He put it like this, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And then John, in one of his letters, describes 1 John 3.16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Godly relationships can be costly, because that was costly for Jesus as he laid down his life for you and me. It can be costly for us as we sacrifice money, comfort, whatever, in order to love others well, to love them as Christ loves them. But I'll tell you what, it'll be worth it 
if you do it. When you love your neighbor as yourself, that helps to change you. As a follower of Christ, God is working in your life to make you more like Jesus every day. And I think that this is just one of the steps of being sanctified, uh, this process. When you actively love your neighbor, even when, they're, when they are your enemy, you begin to see them differently. You begin to see them as Jesus does. And you can love them as God does. Jerry Bridges tells a story of struggling to love a Christian brother. And as he, he's, he's fighting this, he's impressed a question by the Holy Spirit. And the question was, do you believe that I love him just as he is? And, and Bridges conceded, yes, you know, God loved him as he was. And the Holy Spirit kind of brought to his mind another question, whereas, well, if I can love him, can you? If I can love him, can you? I want to close by reading a passage from 1 John in 1 John chapter 4. Verse 7 says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Let Jesus be the Lord of your relationships. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, that is our prayer, that you would be Lord over all, as we're going to talk about for these couple months and especially today, that you would be Lord over our relationships, that we would bring every relationship we have before you, that we would follow the command that Jesus gave us to love you above all, but in the same way, love our neighbors as ourselves. And as we see, we need to be the neighbor who loves well. We need to be like this Samaritan who didn't look at the fact that this person was a Jewish man on the road. He just looked that this man was in need of help. And he saw them with your eyes and your heart. And we pray that, that we would be able to do the same. And if we struggle with that, we pray for you to help change our hearts, Lord. Make us like you. You tell us that you love us. You tell us that we were made in your image. Help us to love people in that way, that we see them as made in your image. Every single person. And we know it's not easy. But we know that with you by our side, we can do anything. 
we can follow your commands because you are giving us the power to do so. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you loved us so much that, that Jesus died for us. That he went to a cross and took our sins. But on the third day, he was raised from the dead. Conquering it. Thank you, Lord. That is what love is. Sacrificial. Help us to do the same. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.